Hello, and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Steven Universe, An Ever-Fixed Mark by Imperfect Circle, and The Black Tides of Heaven by J.Y. Yang. Welcome to episode 28, Gender Palooza. I'm Alex, and my gender is. <laughs> wow. I'm Freya, and my gender is Wine Aunt. I think that's fair and accurate. Hi, yep. I'm Macy, and my gender is that one really confused plum tree that blossoms when it's still snowing, and it's like, what are you doing? Just. Why? We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're going to be talking about a plethora of interesting, juicy topics, including relationships and gender and some really amazing tentpoles that I'm excited to discuss. Uh, but first, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I have just finished reading the third book in Sarah Kuhn's Heroine Complex series, which is the one about uh, Asian American superheroes in San Francisco. And I think they're getting better with each book. And I'm really excited because she has gotten a contract to write a new trilogy about the same three characters set a little bit later. And I'm really excited for that. Uh, I also finished my first ever John le Carre spy novel, hmm. A Perfect Spy. And I fell headlong in love with his ability to catch a character and to structure an interesting sort of intrigue story mm. and we'll probably be going out and devouring a whole lot more Lacare books so farewell my tbr pile i'm waggling my eyebrows at freya because i know that alex is sitting there listening to freya say the word spy repeatedly and just kind of being joyful i'm going to be taking lots of notes yes um meanwhile i am neck deep in chinese harem drama so don't talk to me um specifically i've been watching empresses in the palace which has a delightful um subtitled version up on youtube with like hints about the poetry and it's very lovely and i ran out of subtitles and i don't speak chinese so we'll get through that um i've also been reading a book called sea and civilization uh which is one of my doorstopper non-fiction textbooks um, coming out of a really great panel I was on at Confusion about um, economic world building and supply lines, because I'm a world building nerd. Uh, yeah, for reals. I think I have Sea and Civilization on my wish list on, on thrift books. Uh, I've been watching some more Nirvana in Fire. Uh, I read some Le Guin short stories. Uh, and mostly I've been watching movies uh, mm -hmm. these last couple weeks. Um, I Just the last couple days, I watched a couple of really amazing Korean historical movies, one of which was The Royal Tailor, uh, which is about rival tailors in the palace. It was amazing and dramatic. Uh, and the other one was The Grand Heist, which was about economics and ice and ice being like a super valuable commodity which was amazing and then also today i finished watching uh thugs of hindustan which is a uh indian historical kind of adventure drama movie uh and that one is super interesting it has something i've never seen before which is that the hero character spends the whole movie like flirting with this girl and then doesn't get the girl and sails off into the sunset going like, oh, yeah, I could have, like, stayed, but I just would have slowed her down. 
because she gets like crowned queen of something it's like I, I would just slow her down i would just get in her way and so he like sails off and it's sunset it's great you know what other movie actually does that mad max fury road yeah okay All yeah right. i was just yeah. thinking yeah. that yeah yeah so yeah it's been great uh but let's move on to the episode because we have so much to get through today uh real quick uh just as a reminder for all of our audience members uh if you are new to the podcast or if you have not been paying that close attention we are eligible for the best fan cast category of the hugo awards so please give us your consideration while you're uh pondering all the other wonderful texts that you're putting on your ballot this year and also for new listeners every episode that is a multiple of 10 we do an extravaganza where we basically answer questions from you our darling listeners and talk about whatever you wish us to talk about so if you would like to submit anything for that you can submit it basically anywhere email uh in our twitter are we still using tumblr let's say that as well in our tumblr still still there it has yet to slip into the sea you don't have to send us questions listener because otherwise i'll be quite happy to talk about squid for an hour I believe that's my current threat. And look, I said last time I would be quite happy to listen to Squid, but if you would like some variety in your episode, (laughs) please submit us some questions by March the 1st. So we've moved the deadline by a couple of weeks. March the 1st is the deadline to get us your questions. Yep. And speaking of questions, I have a question. What is a gender even? I mean, you would ask that. So I do think we should probably also note the episode is not just about gender and relationship, but is about world building and gender and relationship yes indeed yes what is a gender what is a gender no don't ask me this question i'm the non-binary person and that's why i'm asking you this question the the, uh, the non-binary person is the wrong person to answer this question i disagree binary person is the person who went are you kidding me Uh, i don't know why would you ever ask a cis person to explain gender so no one i think the conclusion that we're coming to here is no one knows what gender is. Not gender really. is a set of societal expectations and norms that are built around the belief that one can visually tell which gender someone else is. In I our how... society, that's more or less what gender is. But yeah. yes, I, I do love how any definition of gender is either pterodactyl screech in brackets or circles yep. around and itself involves the word gender. Yeah, But when yeah. we're talking about world building, so we've decided to talk about world building and gender and also relationships. Yep. Uh, so we've got some really interesting tent poles about, that demonstrate ways that you can play with that, especially in speculative fiction. So why mm-hmm. are we grouping these ones, what, these two things together? So I think I wrote down an answer to this, yep. which I will try to see if I can make sense. For me, romantic relationships and like romantic partnerships in Western society are inextricably linked to sexuality. Right? Like, it would not be unusual to describe a relationship as being a lesbian relationship, even though the relationship is not a lesbian. Right. (laughs) The relationship (laughs) itself. (laughs) No, no, that's not how it works. And sexuality, again, in our culture is inextricably linked to gender. So even though there are a ton of different ways that a romantic partnership might be interesting or challenging or ways that the people involved might be different from one another the first categorization that we always perform is based on the gender of the participants. And that categorization extends, I mean, this is me veering away from the question that I myself asked, <laughs> but that extends even to individuals. Like it's one of the first things you learn in psychology is that they've done all these studies saying that gender is the first thing we automatically cl- try and classify mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. an individual when we meet them. And if it's not obvious, our brain immediately does a little, mm-hmm. I figured out what gender is. 
Tell us. <laughs> Gender is a societal taxonomization. Absolutely. We do love a taxonomy. <laughs> My answer on this on this dot point was a little shorter than that. I just wrote relationships are the connections you have with other people. Gender is sort of the connection you have with yourself, question mark. Uh, <laughs> but that might be my like personal kind of perspective on it. I think for me, I've also grouped these two things together when it comes to world building, because I feel like there's a set of Western cishet patriarchal assumptions that a lot of narratives carry with them about marriage is between a man and a woman mm-hmm. uh, and marriage is the goal of one's lifetime. And marriage. A- this dream within a dream. <laughs> dream within a dream. Love. <laughs> Imagine us all twirling our moustaches. Um, you did not have a moustache though. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being a pedant. Welcome to the pterodactyl screech gender. Welcome to the podcast. Um, my uh. point was, if the only, if the relationships and gender roles of your society look like Western American society, you're being lazy with your craft. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to talking more about the world building that happens when the romantic or sexual relationship is not the core building block of society. And there's just so many cool things yeah. you can do, people. Quit there being are. lazy. I mean, it's not all things are lazy. Some are doing it on purpose in yeah. order to make points. Blah, blah, blah. Disclaimer and here. Some of them are, are cishet old white men, you know? Like, <laughs> let's just get real aggressive about this. <laughs> let's have an episode, friends. Please let's um, do it. I am not cool. I'm trying to do an intro to the tentpole, <laughs> Maisie. <laughs> you, you, so t- you were shouting about old white cishet dudes. Well, yeah, because I always get derailed to shout about old white men anyway uh so one of the cool uh ways that you can do gender and relationships is perfectly uh portrayed in our first tentpole which is steven universe Ooh. i think it was i think it was freya that had not seen steven i universe hadn't before. no i had heard really good things about it but i had never watched it and so i so, watched a curated selection of episodes so what's kind of your first impression of it did you like it i did yeah i enjoyed it yeah i could say I also hadn't it was very oh, interesting hadn't. watching a curated collection of episodes that was mostly designed to bring forth the world building that is done around gender and relationships in mm-hmm. this one because it had maybe it did make me curious about what was happening in the other episodes. I just got the the impression of oh, this is a show that is about gender <laughs> <laughs> and singing, yay! And like I did, I did actually know what the basis of it was, and I knew quite a lot about the plot and what happens because I had a lot of friends who were into it. But it was, yeah, it was a very interesting experience to watch. I probably will not be going and watching the entire series, but it was very interesting to watch that those few episodes for this particular episode. And I think I would say, would you describe Garnet as a lesbian relationship? The relationship I itself would. is a lesbian? <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> that is like the one. Okay, so for anyone who hasn't seen Steven Universe, uh, oh my goodness, you have such a wonderful journey ahead of you. Uh, it is a kids television show on Cartoon Network, which is super deep and amazing and tackles Mm -hmm. some really amazing issues. Uh, It is about this boy, Steven, who lives with three uh, aliens, essentially, who are called the Crystal Gems. They are these, like, rock-based life forms, I guess. Uh, Each of them has a uh, gem embedded in their body, and they sort of project their body as like a manipulation of light or something i don't remember what the, <laughs> the exact explanation is uh and then they have adventures and uh all three the the three 
uh, Crystal Gems, the main characters, are rebels from a intergalactic space empire, uh, and they have like thousands of years ago they threw off the the shackles of this intergalactic space empire and have been sort of living in in secret on Earth with Stephen, who is half gem and half human as. Holographic lesbians. Holographic lesbians. Because they're all women. Uh, one of the cool things that the gems can do is they can fuse with each other. They can kind mm-hmm. of combine their physical forms to form a new and different being that's often bigger and stronger and has more capabilities than one single gem on their own could have. So, for example, uh, Garnet. You find out later in the show, sometime in season one, that Garnet is actually a a fusion of ruby and sapphire. I wanted to say also that the the thing that fascinated me with Garnet was not only is it queer from our point of view, since they're both quote unquote women, but it's also queer from their society's point of view, right? Yeah, yeah, because their society totally does not view fusion between two different gems as something that's acceptable. Right. There's only fusion with gems of your same type so only rubies can fuse with other rubies and yeah it's oh i didn't get, i didn't get that impression i thought that was more of a class difference thing that 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 was the issue i think because i think obviously just from what i saw it seemed to me that you know oh yes a ruby can't fuse with a sapphire but it was i mean that episode was very much about a class barrier relationship but all the the other gems obviously them being rebels from the empire seem to fuse quite easily and it seems to be the thing that even some of the bad guys do. So it didn't come across to me that fusion in and of itself was a taboo. It was more about which ones are acceptable, which if you're using it as a metaphor for relationships makes sense. It does. I think that the episode, do you remember the title of that particular episode, Alex? I know it's the famous one, the one with Ruby and Sapphire, where we see the story of how they fused for the first time. I don't remember the title of that one. We'll link it in the show notes later. Um, But friends, if you're curious about this show, I think that one really does kind of stand on its own. Um, And you can go and find that probably on YouTube or on Hulu. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot of nuance in there. And because these are short 10 minute episodes and it's a kid's show, there's a lot that's kind of unstated. And Freya's right, like you could totally interpret it that way as well. I interpreted it as being a taboo because the two of them were also surprised by what happened when they fused. They weren't, they didn't realize that you could fuse and be someone different to yourself. And so to me, that felt more like no one did this in their society. Yeah. Mm. And that, I think it's a really fantastic conceit to have at the center of your show, this idea of not just that together you can be something different and something that is more powerful than you are alone, but that the transformation creates something that is a distinct right. personality. Like, I mean, you can have transformers can combine to make things that are bigger than themselves <laughs> and more powerful, but they use it in order to just like smash things down. Yeah. Whereas this was showing that you can transform and combine and you become something that is its own distinct thing. And it's not necessarily to do with power. It's also to do with personality. It's so subtle and beautiful and well done, I think. Yeah, for sure. Just talking about fusion as metaphors for relationships, as we have been doing, it also shows like unhealthy or troubled mm-hmm. relationships also have an unstable fusion. Uh, right. So, for example, we we watched a, an episode. Again, I'm so bad at titles of episodes. I don't remember any of the titles. Uh, but it's the episode where Garnet is is conflicted over something that uh, that Pearl has done and mm-hmm. falls out of her fusion with herself because of how the two halves of herself are reacting 
uh, and having that cognitive dissonance just like makes her an unstable fusion and she has to sort of individually resolve what Sapphire and and what Ruby think uh, for themselves as individual before they can rejoin into this relationship. And I really love that episode because thinking back to some of the things we've said about fairy tales in the past is um, this show is like a fairy tale used to teach children the cultural norms and the healthy ways of relating to one another. Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode really teaches kids how to deal with relationship problems and that you have to talk it out and that it's okay to be hurt and frightened and it's okay to react differently, but you have to have compassion for one another and admit that you're struggling and help. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think I, my favorite, not necessarily my favorite, but the episode that struck me the most was the one that showed the um, Lapis Lazuli mm-hmm. Jasper fusion, where fusion was shown as a trap. Like it was just right, like, yeah. here is a relationship that's been abusive in one direction. And now the person who's been abused is going to trap the person right back still into the relationship. And they're going to be at the bottom of the sea, deeply unhappy. I'm like, whoa, that's quite dark for a child's cartoon. Oh my God. Yeah. Just like both making each other miserable and just like tearing each other apart. And also like, but they are like holding on to each other and like stuck in this. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's just such a powerful thing to do in this show to have this world building of how relationships work for this aliens and i love to, to get into a relationship you have to dance that was great yes <laughs> yep dancing is <laughs> you have to do the sexy dance <laughs> that's super cute it's kind of super saiyan but not yeah yeah such a good imagine, show, imagine if dragon ball z had thought this much about um the merging saiyans i've never seen dragon ball z so unfortunately mm-hmm. i cannot spare any thought for that <laughs> And we have, a, we have a note in the doc that says fusion as metaphor for sex, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, because the whole point of it is that obviously Garnet very much is shown as a romantic relationship right, yeah. that is a fusion, but Stephen can fuse with the gems and there's no romance there and he, sees, he fuses with his best friend and yeah. that's not shown to be romantic at all. It's just shown as it's the intensity and the intimacy of the relationship that creates right. a fusion, not the yeah. fact that it's necessarily romantic or sexual. Yes, yes. I like that. And I will say that if there is anybody whose gender is like neurotic lesbian wine aunt, it is Pearl. I loved Pearl. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> I fucking love Pearl. Oh, Pearl. Oh. She is my favorite. She was great. Bless her. I, I, just, I just want to give her chocolate and sit her in a room with no one else in it for like a week. Yeah. Just, yeah. just calm just calm. Um, but let's move on a little bit to our next tent pole which yes. i think was one of the first ones that we came to when we were discussing this in the first place right Yee. the idea for this episode which is these marvelous novellas um uh, by jy yang the tents of its series and specifically the first one the black tides of heaven yes if you have not read these go read them oh yeah no go read them they are Somehow, JY has managed to fit an epic fantasy into two novellas, and mm-hmm. I don't understand, and they are a space witch, and I am very, very impressed by them. Yeah, I have yes, read these novellas times. twice, and both times I'm like, they're some kind of, like, fucking TARDIS magic. They are yes. so yes. much larger on the inside. <laughs> they are so oh, yeah. big on the inside. Gosh. Just amazing. Also, I just want to take a moment to brag. JY Yang and I have the same agent. They are my mm. agent sibling. Alex looks very smug right now, listeners. Yes. Alex yes. is all. Alex is frequently smug, but even more so, like a cat. 
Well, I think that if you were agent siblings with JY Yang, you also would be pretty smug about it. So That's fair. <laughs> I'm pretty smug about my agent siblings frequently, yeah. but I think that Freya also gets to be smug about her agent no, siblings. No, no, Freya just, just has reactive insecurity about her prolific nature. Oh when, God! And again, we come back to se- uh, to gender. Why not? Um, Why not? So tell us about the black tides of heaven. <laughs> anyway, t- tell us we about these novellas. We were talking about the basically. black tides of heaven. Oh. Yeah, and specifically, why were we talking about them for this episode? So one of the really um, gorgeous pieces of world building that JY does is in this universe, gender is only confirmed by consent. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you are born, you do not have a gender. A gender is something that you identify as. As you grow up, you choose your gender, and the surgeon slash doctor slash magical healthcare practitioners will help shape your body to that gender when you decide, or not, if you decide not to. I found that interesting in that the age at which you choose was extremely variable. Mm-hmm. Like my vague memory of this when I first coming back back at it for a reread was that everyone chose at approximately the same age around puberty but there are some people who choose and are certain at the age of four yep yep and there are some people who do not choose and settle although that in itself the world building around that i found interesting because there is still a societal expectation of settling to one of two genders and so there is still some societal baggage around the idea of not choosing one of a binary and I think that in the first book, in Black Tides, we have a point of view character, Akeha, who is one of a pair of twins and who does eventually decide to identify as male, but it's shown as a source of uncertainty mm-hmm. for him. Um, I think that he, he does kind of resign slash resolve himself to it, but it's never something that he's attached to, whereas his twin, Makoya was very clearly wanting to identify as female and had been for a while, but was holding off so that her sibling would have the space to make their own decision so they could decide together. Yeah, because yeah. I think Akeha re- chooses it almost reactively to identify right. as male because, as becomes him, that feels not entirely right, but more right than the alternative. Yes. Yeah, And I did find it also interesting that um, in this world... I believe, because again, it's a novella, so some things are kind of sketched by white space rather than directly confirmed, but female-bodied and female-gendered people are the ones who bear children. Mm -hmm. And one of the characters, one of the siblings of the twins at the beginning of the first book agrees to accept the female gender as, like, a bargaining chip with her mother. Oh, yeah. And so there is this kind of hierarchy of of gender, of usefulness, of um, female body as production. Because the mother wants grandchildren, and that is a boon that this individual decides that they are willing to give. But also a sense that even in society where gender is a choice, it does not necessarily follow that everybody ends up in the choice and the body that they feel most happy and genuine in themselves in because the choice itself can be political and it can be a bargaining tool and it can be a way of saying this is the position in society that I want. Yep. And so here is also an example where I feel like some of the pushback that you get when you're trying to write queer or when you're trying to world build queer is people saying, oh, you just want a utopia with no conflict in it. You just want everything to be happy and perfect. 
And no, you can build really interesting structures that are far better for um, people who are trans or people who are unsettled with the gender that they were identified with at birth, like this world, but still have pressure and still have conflict. Stakes. Still have stakes, right. And yep. it's just really artfully done um, in this universe that Jay has built. Yes, mm. really, really fantastic. I think one Deeply of the things fantastic. that you see, especially in the um, modern day science fiction and fantasy, is that beginning to explore that even what we would have considered to be groundbreaking explorations of world building to do with gender and relationships, a lot of them are still very much built on binaries. And there right. is still mm -hmm. a lot of space and grey areas and pressures, as you say, for people who may fall somewhere that is not on those binaries. And so I did actually go on and read the second book as well, which wasn't one of our tent poles, which was The Red Threads of Fortune, which has a non-binary individual in it. And that was also very interesting. They came from a different culture where it was more acceptable to choose not to identify. But some of the characters in this world struggle to remember the right pronouns, for example. Um, so it's just a question of leaving space in your world building for that as well. But I think we can come back to that a little mm -hmm. bit because there's another amazing tentpole that is. we have. Yeah, so the third tentpole is another one that adds this discussion of what happens when you have a binary that's just used in a different way. Mm -hmm. So this is a fanfic for the TV series Merlin. Yeah. And the story is An Ever-Fixed Mark by Imperfect Circle. And this is a Sederetu AU. And we touched briefly on what a Sederetu is in the relationship that we did on OT3s and polyamory and relationships involving mm -hmm. more than two people. Uh, but essentially, the world building comes from an Ursula Le Guin short story where relationships that are allowed and not allowed are based on not your gender, but your moiety. And basically, you are either, is it morning and evening? basically. Yes. Yeah. You are either yeah. a morning person or an evening person. I mean, mood. And, yeah, mood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and a marriage in this society is made up of four people. Um, the gender that you are is still important, so there is still not really any much in the way of non-binary gender. So right. a marriage consists of a man and a woman of the morning moiety who have a kind of close platonic or sibling-like relationship, and a man and a woman of the evening moiety who have a similar kind of relationship. Um, and those two pairs of people essentially marry the other pair. Mm -hmm. So within a marriage, there are two expected heterosexual relationships, two expected homosexual relationships, and two heterosexual relationships that are taboo. So the taboo right. in this society is having a romantic or sexual relationship with someone of your same moiety. And this is right. you know, an interesting world-building unit that a lot of fanfic writers have taken as a way of exploring interesting dynamics between four people. Mm -hmm. Although when I was reading the fan law page, I did find an edition that I had not read before. And apparently from Le Guin's world building, you can have up to eight people in this unit because huh. any, yeah. So what the quote was, people can attach themselves to a sibling's <laughs> marriage as an aunt or an uncle, which then allows them to have culturally permissible sex with the two people in the marriage who are of the other moiety, because you are of the same moiety as your sibling. And then right. the children of these relationships, even though you're not married, is a, considered a cousin to the children of the marriage. 
So, so a four person so, so expand <laughs> to eight, eight people because everybody brings a sibling along and they can have sex with some other people. And there's just probably children everywhere. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. I just, I just, I wonder if you could, I wonder if the sibling of one person can have sex with the sibling of the person of the opposite moiety. Ooh, maybe that's like another slightly taboo. I mean, if they're in Does the it... marriage or not in the marriage, and oh, Yvay, I just, I don't have enough glasses. Can you imagine the soap opera TV shows that would be made oh. in this society? <laughs> My God. Oh. <laughs> anyway, the fanfic uh, takes uh, the basis that these kinds of marriages are an accepted form in the universe of Merlin. So the fic starts off with uh, they're celebrating one of these marriages at the court of King Uther. But mm-hmm. it also adds its own spin in that the four people who end up in the relationship are Merlin, Arthur, Gwen, and Morgana. Of course. Of course. Because perfect. But it adds to it by using the magic inherent in the Merlin world okay. to say that these four people have discovered that when they pull their relationship, they actually manage to pull and magnify and create a new kind of magical power which is it's something that's similar to what the fusions do in Stephen Universe. It says a balanced relationship is a literal source yes. of, of power, of magic. I, thought that was I love lovely. that. Well, you know that I love playing with that. Yeah. Because I keep coming up with, with magical marriages. <laughs> and I think that we have spent a little while diving into some of these tent poles, but this is a world-building episode. Do we want to talk a little bit about the kinds of questions that we ask ourselves when yes. we world build about gender and relationship yes and i think that you had a really cool thing to talk about uh about what you think of when you're yeah doing this so like, do you want to start off the the first thing that i normally ask about when i'm trying to world build a new structure is how does reproduction work because the types of relationships that we have in our society are really built around this assumption of masculine primogeniture inheritance and that that has to be by biological in like biological reproduction you have to pass from father to son that means that there must be a son that means that the wife must be to one man only so you know whose son is whose it's all very illogical mm-hmm. um so how does that work instead yes and i i think that i would agree with you because especially in a pre-industrial society where like having babies is going to be important. Like, where do the babies come from? Are we going to be able to, like, continue the species, right? Mm -hmm. And this is something that's kind of coded deep in our head. As, like, a species, I'm not talking about as, like, individuals, because, of course, as individuals, this can vary quite a lot. So uh, that's definitely something that I think about uh, when I'm world building as well. One of the things that I do a lot of in my books is write about worlds where queer relationships and i have to describe them as queer relationships because that's the cool shorthand even though the relationships themselves are blah, 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 <laughs> we already talked about this where queer relationships are accepted and normalized right. because fuck your fantasy homophobia yep. like that's boring and i want to write about queer people but when you have a a society where for example gay marriage is totally normal and not questioned whatsoever um you still have to wonder where are these people getting their heirs and 
Uh, so do they, does the society require them to bequeath to someone who is still related to them by blood, mm-hmm. like a convenient niece or a nephew? Um, is there magical mpreg, if that's your thing? Uh, is there non-magical surrogacy of some kind? Uh, are they just adopting convenient orphans off the street? Right, there's like that's the stuff legit. that we saw in Volkosa Converse with these artificial mm-hmm. wombs that are just not used to answer these questions. Like, Yeah, yeah, there's so many, so many options. And I think that that is a really cool sort of place to start because just continuing the species is such like a a deep kind of fundamental thing to to address it's a source of power right um also that, and it's yeah. how you pass down the power and the wealth and the means of production um yep. i mean i love my um the church has a holy turkey baster just you know sign up for sperm <laughs> um this only works if you have a functioning womb i'm sorry uh well that you are willing to exercise <laughs> but yeah. freya how about you what you said about the idea of you know where the heirs come from and is it all just about you know who's in your line of succession uh the book city of lies by sam mm. hawk which i'm going to make you both read yes you are the world building there is that of a matrilineal society so much so, more sense because so you can sense. fucking tell who's pregnant exactly yeah, ah! so, yeah so the building block of society there is that the most important people in, in your family so obviously is your mother mm. um and your siblings is anybody who is born to the same mother as you not necessarily with the same father and your male role models are usually your uncles right. so your mm. sisters okay. brothers are considered to be the sort of uh yeah senior male figure in your life Mm. And it could be completely irrelevant to your father is he is not expected to live with this family in any way or to have anything to do with the raising of children. And so mm. what that does is it completely decouples romantic and sexual pairings yes. as a building block of society in a way that I found really interesting reading the book. And so if I'm world building around gender and relationships that's what I want to know. What defines a family as we know it? And yes. what is the basic building block? What is the bond or relationship that is given the most weight? Yes. And so in these in these kind of situations, it is to do with how you're born. So you are born to this mother, or you end up with these siblings by blood, your uncles are still blood relations. relations. So to that extent, it's still a blood family. It's just structured in a different way. But for me, I like, again, thinking about how much of it is to do with how you're born and how much of it are you allowed to choose? Yes. Like choosing gender in the Tensorate series. So when I was world building for my first novel, uh, a lot of the structure of the society in that city is to do with which guild you belong to, which is sort of like a combination of work union and religion and mm-hmm. extended sort of social club, essentially. <laughs> and for people of a certain class, there is also your house, which is based around blood family, but not always. So the idea is you are usually born into a guild. You are born into a house if you are of a certain class and your family is of a house. And you are born into a gender. Uh, And for some people and some aspects, that can change. So there are certain confirmation steps that happen. Like there's a coming of age where you are, if you are of a house, expected to confirm yourself and swear yourself into the service of that god and that guild. And if you have decided that you identify as the other gender, then that is where you confirm that as well. Okay. And everyone just goes, oh, okay, that's fine, and starts referring to you however you wish. But you have expected to have made up your mind by that age, and there is still a binary attached mm-hmm. to it. And I have not explored at all what happens outside the bounds of that. 
Um, but your guild and your house can change with adoption. It can change with marriage and frequently does because if you are marrying someone of a different house or a different guild, so a different house, you're expected to change houses. Right. You can be of different guilds in the same marriage, but it would be unusual because of the importance of the guild as a religious unit. I think that I forgot one other question which I tend to ask when we're talking about world building, gender and relationships, which is, um, are you changing biology? Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? Because there's kind of three levels as I think about it. Um, one is, nope, these are humans who are exactly biologically as they are now. Um, you have people who are assigned female at birth and happy with that, people who are assigned male at birth and happy with that, then you can play with the genders however you want on top of the physical characteristics. You have intersex people, you have all sorts of things as we do today. Or you can have halfway in between the two extremes, you can say, my biology, bleh, my biology is the same, but I have magic or technology that lets us change physical form. So the Tensorate has this, right? Or at least I presume that the biology, once you're confirmed, is pretty much the same, but magic will shift it. Or you can say, fuck all of that. We're not humans anymore. I'm just going to talk about a different species that looks maybe something like us, but has different elves. genders. Yeah, Elves. How many genders do elves have? How many have? genders do elves have? Elves have yes, many genders. Um, yeah. No, I was thinking about Homestuck here. Where of course you were. we I mean, of course I was. And we were gonna probably talk about that a little bit more in the context of relationships than of gender. But fandom kind of took off with the idea that trolls don't have biologically differentiated genders, right? Mm -hmm. Or gen or biologically differentiated sexes. They are bugs. Yeah. Their reproduction works totally differently. Um they can get it on with a partner of any visual gender because it looks like some of them are girls and it looks like some of them are boys but that is completely irrelevant to whether they can make the slurry that is there oh, oh my god so what? Gross. that's what they call it I, they, I just wasn't expecting it <laughs> usually i, I have was not expecting to, like, that word myself. in this context <laughs> at all Listen. It's hussy. What can you do? The Imperial drones show up with two buckets. They want your hate rom and your your black rom and your red rom pairing to get it on and hand them a pail of slurry, which is mixed co-melded <laughs> genetic material from a sexual context, to make babies from. They feed it all to the mother grub. She fucks around with genetics and spits out a shit ton of grubs. They're insects. They're insects. But it doesn't matter who the fuck you have sex with to produce this and so right. by corollary there's no sexual differentiation or sexual binary in the trolls which right. is cool but alex i know that you wanted to talk about a few cool examples of masculinity done differently yeah because i think that when we're talking about gender like it's really important to not treat masculinity as the default like, I think it's important to talk about masculinity as a gender because so often we look at men as being blank gender, mm. right? Um, especially in the, like, Western context. And so I just wanted to mention briefly two amazing movies, one of which is a, a movie called uh, Bahubali. Uh, there are two movies, and I'm talking about the first one. Uh, and so the main character is this hyper-masculine uh, by Bollywood standards, uh, man. And when I was watching this movie, it really struck me how 
different mm. masculinity can be depending on your culture because in in this film like this hyper masculine character smiles all the time and he's always cheerful and like very very athletic and very strong and shows off his strength and then like smiles and laughs and dances in public and this was amazing to me and and very surprising it sort of cast a light on a blind spot that I had had about my own culture because I had not realized until that moment about how much Western masculinity is about being emotionless mm. and restrained and not really having feelings, right? Like you're you're supposed to be manly by being stoic. <laughs> and likewise, the other movie that kind of shone a light on this was Magic Mike XXL. Of course. Uh, specifically the scene in the gas station where, um, what's his name's character is, uh, dancing to a Backstreet Boys song. And immediately before this, this scene, they're having an argument about like what it means to be a male entertainer, a, a male stripper. And they, they are really in it just to make women smile, to like give them a, a, a good time and make them happy. And the challenge that this this character is given is to go into this gas station where this woman, is, this cashier is standing at the, the counter just having a terrible day and, like, that customer service look where you, your <laughs> eyes are just dead yep. and, like, nothing affects you anymore. Uh, and this, this, like, really super hot male entertainer comes swanning into the gas station and does an impromptu performance for her and gets a laugh out of her. And that is sort of, like, the triumph of the the scene. And also, like, an amazing show of, like, how masculinity can be, like, healthy and and uh, constructive rather than toxic. I think that that's a really great point about um, cultural expectations of gender. And again, it's why I come back to if you're not, if you're reproducing blithely Western masculinity and femininity in your speculative fiction works, that's poor craft. Like, yeah, choose to do it on purpose for a reason, fine. But looking at, for example, the masculinity in the sea dramas that I've been watching, that you've been watching, Alex, yeah. or Freya, the Nirvana in Fire, the way that it represents masculinity is, is totally different. Mm. And that's that's real. That's that's a real culture in our world. Yeah. Yes, and if you're going to build a world, then you, ha then you can derive what's considered to be masculine and feminine from historical context and i'm thinking of a series of novellas by stephanie burgess called mm -hmm. the harwood spellbook which is based in an alternate england with magic and the history of this alternate england is that Boudicca won the uprising against the roman empire and so ever since then the method of government in england has been that women form the parliament because they are sensible warriors and leaders and men who are powerful and emotional are the magic users and that is the gender oh, roles in society and to make your and to become a powerful female politician you are expected to have a male husband who is a powerful magic user and that's how I you get it I and so it's it. about this family who start rebelling against those quite rigid conceptions of masculinity and femininity and what role you play because of your gender even though it's already completely different to what we assume so it's about obviously like one of the girls wants to become a magic user and one of the women really wants to be a politician but the man she's in love with flat out refuses to be a magician and how do they go about like breaking the rules it is fantastic i and recommend Macy and it. i are sitting here Macy and I are sitting here both dragging our hands down our faces in absolute joy. I this sounds it. incredible. It's, 
Oh, yeah. Which is, it's lovely. They're just like lighthearted, oh. like rom, feminist rom-com magic stuff, but with this really interesting world building at the heart. The first one is called oh. Snowspelled, and there is a prequel novella in the Underwater Ballroom Society, that uh, anthology that I was reading recently. Delightful, delightful stories. I highly recommend. Wonderful. Oh, man. And, and that's the other thing is there are so many different representations of gender in one world. So anyone who builds a world that only has one gender representation, one societal way that everyone is the same. No. Yeah. No, stop. Stop. There's, there's no society in the world where everyone is the same. Right. But also there's no world where all societies think gender is the same also that yeah and i mean we talked a lot about depictions of masculinity do we want to touch on depictions of femininity you have a couple interesting or you have an interesting example here so i think yes yeah i was thinking of um harker vagrant has a handful of comics about strong female characters Mm -hmm. and they are delightful and wearing tight leather things and smoking cigarettes and being an utter parody of themselves and they kind of love them. I think Harker Vagrant also has that depiction of like, is it like the 80s power executive women? With yeah. like those really sharp shoulder yes. shoulder pads and things like that. And they, they, it's very good at sort of fondly skewering the changing depictions of what it means to be a an acceptably feminine, but also right. an acceptable role-playing woman. Gosh, I mean, I think that it's just navigating shark-infested waters by hopping from stone to stone sometimes to be a woman right. Yeah. Wow. Mood. Wow. (laughs) That kind of hurts my heart to think about. Uh, But yeah, and I think that that falls through to fiction sometimes too. Uh, We've had such a hard time trying to find a Machiavellian overthinker who was a woman uh, for that episode we we did. And gosh, I have some feelings about this fact but is it harder to do interesting things with gender with women i think the way that i keep writing women i have recently realized that i know how to write exactly one woman and that is someone who is extremely competent and has had it up to here (laughs) and is just like impatient and competent and wanting things to be done the right way and now and she's always like very ambitious and very successful and kind of like morally complicated and I love writing that character and I don't know how to write any other female characters because <laughs> I think that's like like I think I, I keep writing women who are a little bit what society would consider unlikable mm. because I like them so much. Right. As a community writing science fiction and fantasy, I think we are still in a space of, oh my goodness, we can have more than one woman. I know. Which I didn't really realize until I looked back and, and read a, a short story collection, which was a retrospective of Australian science fiction. And just for so long, so much of it was just most of the characters were men mm. and the women that were there were if even if not stereotypes, tended to fall into particular roles. Right. And so when we are writing them now, I think it we're still in this stage of wanting to react against that by yeah. saying we can have unlikable women and we can have women who fall into all these different categories because finally there can be more than just Smurfette. But in I think the yeah, that sometimes that we react writing. by saying, I will only have the opposite of Smurfette. Yes, and I think that's what the the strong female characters comics right. is partially it's just kind about. Of poking at. But I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the 
things that we've seen that have kind of really obviously carried gender assumptions from our world into their fiction. And I always go back to Anne McCaffrey's work when I'm thinking about stuff that I read early that kind of really shaped how I read. Mm -hmm. And man, you two have read a few of these, I think. Oh yeah, I read tons of Anne McCaffrey when I was like 11, 12. So the restrictions on which dragons, women, quote unquote, can impress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was like women can impress a blue and that means you're a lesbian. So women in the Star Wars can only impress a gold dragon. Okay. Uh, It comes out later on that women can and so impress in this world is the word that means to bond with a dragon so women physically can bond with green dragons and blue dragons um colors being gender markers for dragons how the hell the dragons tell the gender of their humans i am not entirely sure why it matters i'm even less sure Ah, but society has said that women are a liability, and so we will only have women for the dragons that must have women and nothing else, i.e. the golds. Which Naomi Novik also did in Temeraire, right? Women can be captains of dragons, but in society, in British society, they choose to only put them on the dragons that refuse everybody else. Yes, like women can be on any dragon, but there's one breed of dragon which requires a woman. And the implication, I think, is that, like, the society is strict enough that if this dragon didn't absolutely require a woman, then women wouldn't be allowed to be on dragons at all. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's a way of the, the requirements of the service and the requirements that actually being the thing that pushes the boundaries of where women are allowed in society, that they wouldn't have been if it weren't for yes. this, this magic thing. And that that's a way of world building, of saying that and it's not necessarily the assumptions around gender that have changed but something has happened in the world that has forced them yes. to change in a small way. And you can make interesting ripple effects out of that. You absolutely can. And if you're taking a super broad view of what gender is, you could say that societal roles are in a way wrapped up with gender. Yeah. So like you were saying about the novellas in Boudicca's post-Boudicca England, is it the same thing to be a woman in that society as it is to be a woman in our society? Like, is, is the concept of woman the same in that world? Yeah, obviously it comes with a completely different set of mental baggage. But there is still a lot of baggage. Somebody put a point about arranged marriage. Do you want to talk about that? that, Yeah, that was was me. Um, Just about assumptions that we're carrying with us. Um, One of the things that I always see in fiction is this assumption that arranged marriages are terrible. um, That they always involve either uncaring or exploitative parents. Mm. An ambivalent or actively resisting or unhappy bride. Or a groom who is age-inappropriate, or equally ambivalent and unhappy, or else creepy and rapey. And what I would really love to see is more fiction which shows the reality of arranged marriages, which in the real world... Okay, and I want to say, historically, there have been many examples of unhealthy and exploitative arranged marriages. That is very true. However, I think most parents want to see their children in happy, healthy constructive relationships and and also like example of shitty romantic pairings marriages abound see also pride and prejudice yes absolutely absolutely but yeah i would love to see more like just talking about the sort of relationships that we have in fiction i would love to see a depiction of arranged marriage being actually a 
healthy and happy and positive choice that the child is making just as much as the parent is making. Which I believe Freya does. Yeah, Freya does. Freya Freya does. Like in your society, the arranged marriages that are set up are very much like in this particular circumstances, um, this pairing doesn't end up working out, but it's clear that the parents are trying to make them happy, are making sure that they get along with one another, that it's going to be workable as a partnership and i think that's a different view of marriage is partnership rather than but again it's about when you are building your world what is the building block Mm -hmm. what is the purpose of this relationship and it's a way of saying okay i'm choosing to decouple the idea of romantic love from um a funk from a marriage unit in society and saying this can work just as well because it's only in today's society that we have this assumption that romantic love and sexual intercourse and reproduction and you know building block right. of the nuclear family have all become kind of watered up into this little ball that we are still trying to untangle when it comes to mm-hmm. what is normal and acceptable well and i mean that this is also a super modern um change in western society is this nuclear mm. family get all your needs in one thing which kind of isn't how humans work but we've kind of no. broken up the it takes a village communities that we used to have and so now you don't have the intense platonic friendships that just live two doors down to help raise your children yes and you don't have aunts and uncles and grandparents Mm -hmm. living either in your house or very close by to help out you don't have sibling relationships you don't have the next generation uh helping out with the the um younger children uh, as much like you don't have communities of children as much anymore honestly if, if people take only one piece of advice as a writer from this episode it's that you should be questioning your assumptions on relationship and gender because otherwise it's bad craft and yeah i think we have a hunger to see these kinds of things we really mm-hmm. enjoy found family stories we like looking at what makes up a unit of people with connections that isn't necessarily based on this type of gender or this type of relationship and you can look into history for a lot of different things i really enjoyed the idea of fostering where you've got this sort of like large family-ish group that is also family plus employees and you can send a foster child to be at somebody else's castle or somebody else's court and sometimes it's to do with hostage taking but sometimes it's just to do with work experience and you're creating connections through enforced family that has nothing to do with blood well, this is a really great point. What do we think are some canons that have pursued different ways of having relationships and, and genders and different social models? Are you going to make me do the shouting about the Homestuck quadrants? I mean, if you want to. Always. But I really did enjoy Homestuck because it played with what it means to have a romantic relationship. Um, and this species requires two particular sexual romantic relationships Uh, one of them based around love and one of them based around hatred or rivalry. And I just found that that was um, playful and fun. Yes. And another canon, I think that we cannot, uh, in good conscience, end the episode without giving at least a shout out to kind of the foundational text for gender in science fiction, which is, of course, Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Yes. Yes. Someone put a note here about it. Who was that? That was me. Um, yeah, I think Left Hand of Darkness, Le Guin's story about a society of which the people have no gender apart from two days in the month uh, when they can assume either the male gender or the female gender pretty much for the idea that, you know, this is your time of month where you are 
able to reproduce and which hmm. gender you become or manifest at those two days can depend on the relationships that you're in and the context and the people around you. So you don't have to always be the same one. You can go to either. But for most of society and most of a person's life, they will be assumed to have no gender. So it is manifesting only for the means of reproduction. And I found an interesting quote that Le Guin said when she was talking about how it was a difficult book to sell. She thought, she said that when she was writing it, even if everybody in it is called he, it is not about men. So she was using he as, a, as the neutral pronoun partly because she was making a story, a point about culture clash and the fact that the ambassador to that planet and to that society who was being introduced to it came from a place where that would have been the case. But I think, you know, looking at Left Hand of Darkness from a modern lens, you can see that it was one step and a very important step down a road that we have come a long way on when it comes to thinking about what is gender neutral and what is the default. And... Mm -hmm. There has been a more recent series that has pretty much flipped that one around when it comes to what pronouns do we use as the default. Briefly, before we do that, I just want to say, why the fuck didn't we call this episode Seize the Means of Reproduction? Oh. Because we're gonna because we're gonna do a reproduction episode. Oh, that's right. Okay. Remind me. Sit on that. Actually put it in the doc. I'll put it I'm gonna put it in the document right now. You keep talking about what is it? Ancillary justice? Yep. I haven't said the words yet, so somebody else can introduce this one. Well, I just yes. did. <laughs> I loved how Ancillary Justice chose to use the feminine pronouns, in part because it's from the point of view of a ship, right? Yeah. Yes. So it's from the point of view of someone who, to whom gender, in the sense of like what genitals does someone have, or how they're presenting in terms of gender, is literally irrelevant, because they're a ship. But also, she, she likes to possess um, zombies, so she, she makes lots of corpse zombies. And those, I mean, once had gender, but it really is irrelevant now. It's not a light book. No, well, not a light trilogy, really. No, no, <laughs> but it does, books. it just declines to have gender. Like, nope, this society doesn't do that. Tough. Yeah, and also makes a point to the reader in our society by using the female pronoun as the neutral one. And yes. the write-ups and Twitter threads of the translation difficulties that these books have had going into various other languages that have presumptions of gender and how the translators have navigated that, super fascinating. Oh super man, I have to go find some of those because I love that shit. Yes, I think we love all of this shit, as is hopefully exceedingly evident by now, dear listeners. Yes, yes you should know by now that we love all this shit. All the shit, all the genders. Yes! everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Question. What even is gender, though? It's a riddle, mystery, enigma burrito, and it's non-binary oppression if you insist on making me try to answer that. So enough of that. Friends, the episode 30 extravaganza is coming up so soon, and we have not gotten many questions from you. What do you want to hear more about? Surely not just Macy talking about squids. Send us some questions, conversation topics, things we could bicker over for your amusement. The extravaganza happens only twice a year, so give us something fun to yell about. You can send those things into our email, Twitter, Tumblr, or by Messenger Pigeon, you know, whatever works for you. 
Let's see, what else should you know? Well, we've got some really exciting topics in upcoming episodes. The next episode, two weeks hence on February 27th, is going to be about spies and secret agents. So if you want to prepare in advance for that episode, one of the tentpoles is a Bond fic called Ulysses by Girl Bookworm. Uh, That's worm spelled without the O. Or it could be Girl Book Warm spelled without the A, I guess. Oh, shit, or it could be Girl Book Worm, spelled without the Y. Really some elegant and poetic ambiguity there. Nice. Also, February 27th happens to be my birthday. The best birthday present you could get me is to tell your friends or social media platforms about how much you like the podcast. Wink, wink. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to review us on iTunes. And, by the way, I don't know what gender you identify as, but I identify you as hella cute. Ayy!